evidence and answers. Abu Atala was part of the Muslim Brotherhood and a devout follower of Islam. However, one day his mind and heart were awakened to Jesus Christ. So what caused him to investigate Christianity? What were the truths that transformed his life? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In this episode of Evidence and Answers, Pat will be speaking with Abu Atala, who shares his story of coming to Christ after many years in the Muslim Brotherhood. So without delay, here's part one of today's message. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and provide biblical answers to the challenges of today. Well, today we have a fascinating interview with Abu Atala, author of a great book entitled From Cairo to Christ, who will share his journey from Islam to faith in Jesus Christ. Abu Atala is the founder and CEO of the European Training Center and a pastor, professor, and missionary with the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. So, Abu, welcome to Evidence and Answers. Thank you for having me. Well, Abu, tell us about life growing up there as a Muslim in the country of Egypt. Well, in my time where I grew up, you know, I was born in 57. Uh, so at that time, things were uh, okay with Muslims and Christians lived together. And we had Christian friends. But usually we kind of say when it comes to religion, you have yours and I have mine. Uh, we don't get to talk about religion, even though we were friends, but still religion was kind of thing that we don't talk about. Uh, the country was a little bit easier in those days, and there was no conflict between Christians and, and Muslims, and the fundamentals actually pretty much ended up in jail because the Brotherhood came in and helped the revolution in Egypt in 1952 to, against the king, and then... Egypt became a republic, and they tried to assassinate the president of Egypt then, so they didn't succeed, so he put them in jail. So they were, and actually hung their leader. So things were quiet, and quite socialist, uh, I would say, and things were okay. We still have our funds, and we still have the names that we made of the Christians. They have different names. When you call other minorities names, that's demeaning to them. We used to have those names as well. I grew up uh, after I was 11 years old. My dad died. And the major spiritual influence or major Islamic influence on in my life was my mother. And my mother, since she was seven years old, she prayed five times a day. She did all the tenets of Islam. And she taught me all of that. So she was my influence the one who had the greatest influence on me religious-wise. Yes, I read in your book that you then eventually joined the Muslim Brotherhood? That was when I was 19 years old. Okay, yeah, tell us about your experience and in the Brotherhood. Things have changed because then you had President Nasser died and then Sadat came and he had a coup against him by the socialists or the Nasserites. So he released the Muslim Brotherhood to come out to counter the socialists. And they started, when I started with them, we were a religious movement, uh, calling people to Allah, uh, and so on. But by the end of the 70s, they became uh, highly militant, highly uh, authoritative, and really wanted to take over the country. When I joined them earlier, in the mid-70s, they were just a religious movement. 
even though the, uh, the person who used to attend the group with me was six years older than me, my brother's age, was Ayman al-Zawahri, who is now the head yeah. of Al-Qaeda. Mm-hmm. You know, so then he wasn't anything except just a, a team leader or a group leader. And after that, he was actually, his group was part of the assassination of Sadat. And I really wanted to do that because my best friend became part of the Muslim Brotherhood. And I was just about to finish my high school and I wanted to get a good grade. And I thought if I'll be a good uh, Muslim, the Lord would reward me with good grades in high school. So that's, that was really my motivation, my friend as well as the grades. And you know Islam depends on in works. So, and if you do good works, you know, you'll be rewarded for it. If you do bad works, you also will be rewarded negatively and hoping that you can go to heaven one of these days. So that was my experience with them. But the one that really made me start to think about what's going on when I was in university, I found a Muslim Brotherhood man who saw, you know, we have almost 12 million Christians in Egypt, mostly Coptic Orthodox, but there's also Coptic Presbyterians and Evangelical in Egypt. She was wearing a cross and mind her own business. He saw her, he grabbed the cross, threw it in the ground, stepped on it, slapped her, says, you're infidel, you're going to hell. I was appalled by this. And I says, how dare you? How, what give you the right to treat people like this? And I just said, that's not Islam. That's just him. That's, he's the bad one, not Islam. So that was one of the negative. And then they started to take over in the schools and the colleges and they actually chased and beat up some of the Christian professors in the university because they were infidels and they should not be tra- teaching uh, the Muslims. And then they separated the male from the female in the university. Then they forced the women to cover up. And they took also uh, the different groups, political groups within Egypt. So they were qu- quite affluent politically in the civil institutions. So, and that's when I just saw the politics of it, not the religious nature, but the politics of it. But you need to understand that in Islam, there's no separation between religion and politics. That's just an American thing and comes from the history in Europe between the Protestant and the Catholic. Uh, but for Muslims, uh, we have an expression called deen and wadunya, which means life and religion together. You don't separate the two. And sometimes when we judge them, we don't know that they don't separate the two. So in any case, the positive side, when I met a Christian group, actually, through my German friend who was atheist, he was kind of a womanizer, teenager, and he met a couple of young Egyptian ladies who spoke German, and they were meeting, having a Bible study, so they invited him. And he liked them more than he liked what they do. So he invited me to it three times, and I said no, and finally I went. And I was really surprised for the first time in my life to see Christians pray, and how they were praying and the way they were praying. You know, in Islam we have prescribed prayers. You do five times a day. Each time we have certain times you go up and down, everything you know, even the words you say from the Quran are always the same. You change here and there, but it's pretty much the same pattern day in, day in and day out. Uh, well, for them, they were spontaneous. They also talked about God the Father, which is a weird uh, name for me, because I'm not used to God. God is God, not the Father. He's not related in any way uh, to humanity or human figures. But they were so sincere about their prayers. 
what kind of irked me when I heard him praying, one of them said, yeah, thank you, God, for helping me with my homework. And I can't see them. Wait a minute. Enough is enough. God is too busy to worry about your stupid homework. You know, God has so many other important things to do. And I thought maybe that was just too much. But still, their sincerity and the way they prayed and the way they addressed God and the way God was answering their prayer was refreshing, I have to admit. Then my brother used to date a Christian lady. Usually we date them, but we don't marry them, okay? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's part of the issue. You marry only a Muslim woman. I mean, a Muslim literally can marry a Christian woman, but a, a Muslim woman cannot marry a Jewish man because the husband has to be Muslim because his kids will carry his name and religion. So in any case, she gave him a Bible and he didn't read it, but I do believe it was for me. God made it this way that I could have access to the Bible. So I started reading the Bible and started comparing the young people's life to the Bible. Then I had two couple of instances. One of them was in a car and the other one was a motorcycle. The car, when uh, usually we go, uh, you don't have snow in Hawaii. No, <laughs> but we 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 have uh, in Michigan. You do uh, snow and you do a donut in the snow with the car. We actually do the same thing in the sand, uh, you know. So, uh, but the car got stuck in the sand, and I said, "Well, I'm gonna pray like the Christians, see if it works." And I actually call it my bingo prayer because it was not a faithful prayer. It was just seeing if it works or not. Like you know, when you play bingo, hoping that you win. So I bowed my head down like the Christians do, and I prayed, and somebody came and pulled the car, and we started, the car started, and I went home, and I said, well, the same thing would have happened. Not just the Christian prayer is different than the Muslim one, and God answered this and doesn't answer the other. Uh, the other one was also with my German friend, who uh, we got a big Eastern European motorcycle, and I got a motorcycle, and I went so fast. He taught me something, but he didn't pay that much attention because I wanted to get in that motorcycle, no stop sign, no police, you're in the desert, and here you go. And if you want to call for people to understand, here is like the Lawrence of Arabia movie riding on his horse. You know, so I did. And then I lost control of the motorcycle, and I didn't know what to do. So here I go again. This time, I don't know why I said it, why I've done it. I said, Jesus, help me. The motorcycle stopped immediately. And my friend came to me, and he said, God saved you. He said, what do you mean God saved me? You're an atheist anyway, and I didn't pray to God, I prayed to Jesus, and Jesus is not God. You know, you always go back to your default mechanism. Mm -hmm. But I went home and I started to think about all of that. Well, the first time with the car was coincident. How about the second car? But whatever the Bible says and whatever happened to me and whatever happened with the group, all of them agree that God answers prayers in Jesus' name. So that's when I started to inquire and I started to attend that group for Bible study and to see what they are saying. Wow. And that's just... Well, you said you know, one of the things that fascinated you was their prayer to God the Father. In Islam, explain the relationship that believer has with Allah. You know, it's, the relationship is like the Greek thought that the God has no relationship whatsoever with man. He does not look like a man. He's not related to man. And even when they reject the sonship of Christ, because they believe that Christ came in through a a man and a woman, and God could not have a sexual relationship with a woman to have Jesus. So they do believe in the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ. But when you tell them Jesus is the Son of God, they will reject that because God has no children. 
and God is not involved in any way, shape, or form with humanity and should not be described in any shape or form like a human. So the total separation between the divine and uh, the human. So when they're praying, what is it they're praying for? Well, you can understand the Islamic system. The Islamic system is a work system. And, you know, Muhammad, because he was a tradesman, he figured a system actually with a weight, where you weigh your stuff. So you have an angel on your right hand side uh, or your right shoulder and an angel on the left shoulder. The one on the left has a book and writes down all your sins and the other one writes all your good deeds. And in the day of judgment, they're going to weigh both. Which one would go down would tell you if you're going to go to heaven or hell. And part of the good deed and the requirements of Islam is the five pillars, and one of them is the prayer, as well as the fasting, as well as the hajj, the pilgrimage, you know, as well as giving money to God. So all of the, and as well as witnessing, saying there's no prophet but Muhammad and Allah, he's a messenger of Allah. There's no God but Allah and Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. So that's the things that you do and you get rewarded for it. And if you do a lot of these good deeds, then you should be going to heaven, even though God says can change his mind and do whatever he wants. Even if you're supposed to go to heaven, he say you go to hell. If you're gonna go to hell, he can say uh, you can go to heaven. So he's more of a capricious God. So there's really no assurance of salvation in Islam. No, exactly. Even you can ask any Muslim and he would tell you, I'm not sure where I'm going. The only one who would assured to go from us, you know, from the Prophet and his family and, and so on, that's different. But is the, what we call uh, the Shaheed, which is the martyr. So if you die as a martyr, you go to heaven. Just like the TV series where it says highway to heaven. Mm -hmm. So being a martyr is your highway to heaven. So that would explain why so many are willing to strap on a bomb and be zealous in their jihad or holy war for Allah and die in the cause of Allah. Yeah, and when you have some people like Saddam and others who gave the martyrs $20,000 for their family, so if you have a family of 12 kids, one is your insurance policy. He dies, and the rest of you will get the money to live on. Mm. So there's an economic factor as well. You know, so these are some of the things and why everybody's willing to die for Allah to go to heaven. But then you also have to look at heaven. Heaven has all kinds of things. Pretty much whatever they could not have in the desert, they will have in heaven. And even the wine that is forbidden here, it would not be forbidden in heaven. And then you have the 72 maidens who are made by God for you, for each man. Beside his wonderful wives, that they were good to him, they will not go to heaven with him. So we have 72 plus his wife that he married on earth. Now, what does that number 72 come from? It's not in the Quran. It's somewhere in the Hadith, isn't it? Well, yeah, but see, you got to understand that the Hadith is, is like Catholicism. You have the Bible is equal to the saying of the saints, okay? So that's why you go back to the church history, what the saints have said and they have done, and then you go back to it. So for Islam, some of the sources of that, or the Sharia, if you want to know, comes from the Quran and the Hadith, which is whatever Muhammad said, whatever Muhammad done, whatever Muhammad approved of. I see. So that's the imitate, really. You imitate Muhammad, and the more you imitate Muhammad, the better it is. 
Right. He is the perfect example, according to the Quran, right? Yeah. 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 So you gain a great interest in Christianity and in reading the Bible. So what was it that made you finally commit your life to Jesus Christ? Well, I can't tell you except it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Because when I looked at what the people's life, the young Christian people's life, and my life and what I prayed, and what I read in the, in the Bible, I was ready to believe the Bible and believe that this is the Word of God and what Jesus is saying is true. So uh, when I found that Jesus is saying, I am the truth and the life, says, yes, you are, because I've seen that in my life, I've seen that in those people's lives, and I see that in the Bible, and that's what it says. You know, so that's really what changed things for me. And I started reading the Bible, finished the whole Bible a few times, and then came back to it again. And I was still reading it after 40 years. Wow. Well, after you came to Christ, I mean, you explain the consequences of someone coming to faith in Jesus Christ, but they face the penalty of apostasy. So tell us, what are the consequences of someone leaving Islam and putting their faith in Jesus Christ? You know, I preached a sermon one time, and I, the title was, Good news is disastrous news. To shock some people, because sometimes said, you know, just give your life to the Lord and everything will be nice. Mm -hmm. uh, for the Muslims, when you become a Christian, all your life is turned around. So for me, and I'm not just me, I, I'm representing many, many Muslims who've gone through the same thing. So I'm not saying this is just an individual experience. This is a collective experience, and I could get into more details if you want. But uh, first, I had 12 people in front of my house, two of them were my kindergarten friends, and they wanted to kill me. Uh, second, the mosque, the radical mosque that was next to me, declared that an apostate, that I have left Islam and I should be killed. If I don't return back, they give you three days. And if you don't return back to Islam in three days, you declare that you are an apostate and you should be killed. So uh, that happened. Uh, the dean of my university vowed I'll never graduate from business school as long as I'm a Christian. And then finally my family said, we're going to be good to, me, to you. We're not going to kill you, but you have to leave the house if you continue to stay as a Christian. So now you have no home. You have no school. You have no job. And they do that deliberately, hoping all that pressure will return you back or bring you back again to Islam. For me, that was a one-way trip, no return. And I ended up having to escape uh, from my family home and from the people who were waiting for me outside. And I ended up leaving home. And that was the most difficult uh, time of my entire life. I came from a very solid family. I did not hate my family. I loved my family, I had great relationship. So leaving them was the, la was the last thing I wanted to do. But the Bible was very clear before I left. If you love a father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. And I said, Lord, you have decided it is time for me to follow you and to leave my family. And that's what I did. So that's just for me, that's what happened. For other people, they have similar things, or some of them were killed, actually, in other countries. You know, I think that's called honor killing, and it's commanded in the Quran and well, in the Hadith. Right, that those who apostasize. Well, honor killing is different because oh, honor different. killing of your wife is found in a sinful situation with someone else or your daughter or so on. But this is not honor killing. This is religious killing. This is different when you leave Islam. So this is to scare anyone from thinking about once or twice leaving Islam.
Yes. You see what I'm saying? These are that's mm-hmm. the difference between the honor killing and uh, this, uh, because you violated the religion by leaving the religion mm, yes. behind. I see. So now, what happened? Now you're no friends, no family. You're kind of on your own. What happens from there? Well, at least for the first month, most of the Christian church. I mean, if you're a Christian, you're free to live your Christian life as long as you don't witness and you come out of that and talk to Muslims about it. Okay? So Mm -hmm. the Christians who were born as Christians, you know, that's no problem. They can go to their own churches. But when you come out of Islam, that's a whole different story. So I looked for a long time after my friends helped me escape from the home. For six hours, none of the Christians wanted to take me because they were afraid that the police would be after me and they would get in trouble and they would lose their jobs for housing me. But finally, one family did take care of me for three days. And I did a trip around Egypt from different place to place to place to place and finally ended up coming to Cairo. And I had to find a place and I found a room, half of a room. I sleep on the bed one night and I sleep on a couch another night uh, with another guy who was Catholic living there too. And both of us were living at somebody else's house. We had few rooms and didn't have enough money coming in so he was renting the rooms. And then the Lord has provided through my pastor after I was baptized. And by the way, a pastor legally cannot baptize a Muslim. So that's forbidden by law in Egypt. So you cannot do that. So they always have to do it in secret. That's part of the issue. So many of us are, I'm not afraid anymore because my pastor died. So, and he was the head of the largest Presbyterian church in Cairo. And he baptized me. And he actually got me scholarship to come to America. And this is where you entered into the Bible college and began training to be a missionary to the Muslim people. Is that right? That's correct. And then I studied in other colleges, and then I came back and I finished my Master of Divinity. And I worked actually in Michigan, in Dearborn. I started community center to work among Muslims from 1989 to 96. Great. That's a fascinating story. Uh, Let's talk about the growth of Christianity in Muslim countries and in the Muslim world. You state in your book here, more Muslims have come to Christ in the last 40 years than in the last 1,400 years. So That is actually, yes, that is true. And and you say Christianity is growing in countries like Iran and countries like that. Tell us about it. I mean, I would like to bring a book. It's called Winds in the House of Islam. Winds in the House of Islam. And that's a research that was done among different Muslim people all around the world. And he took it by continent and explained to you how many Muslims and how many uh, people and so on came to Christ. So this has been documented. Because we say that and people say, what is your proof? So this book was made to do a documentation of the news that we have, you know, that we were saying that Muslims are becoming a Christian. And you'll find out from that book as well. But yes, we are seeing Muslims coming in. I've never, I've been in ministry for 37 years and I've never seen so many Muslims coming to the Lord. Every time I travel to Muslim countries, I meet new Muslim converts. It used to be some of the poor people in my time, now from everywhere. Uh, the educated, the poor, the women. See, the women actually are 51% and the men are 49% overall. And in Iran, the, uh, actually you hear the saying from them even, from the believer, that Khomeini was the best evangelist in the history of Iran. Yeah. Because of what he has done, he made a lot of Muslims just stay away from Islam. 
So now we're talking about two million Iranian Christians. And they're starting to talk about that in the parliament because some of the people in the parliament, their kids became Christians. And now it's a national issue for them. Wow. Well, why do you think, yeah, are we seeing this big growth of Muslims coming to Christ? There's different reasons. But one of them, just in God's timing and wisdom, this is the time for the Muslims. I know people started in 1878 in North Africa, and missionaries lived and died without seeing maybe one or two Muslims who became Christians in Algeria. Now we're talking about maybe 100,000 Algerians have become Christians. You know, so we're talking about some major, major numbers. And so in those days, many people worked among Muslims and didn't see it. This is God's timing. So that's one of it. I do believe in the sovereignty of God. When His time comes, His time comes. That's all the time we have. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold a conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii, it's area code 808-483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. You may do so right there online on their homepage. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share it with those around you. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zupran.